Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. So there's always like one person who I run into all of the time. And for whatever reason, it's been John Slattery, where I like ran into him in a Thai food restaurant in L.A. And then on the subway in New York. And it's not run into, by the way. Like you just you constantly see that person. They don't have to be famous. But for whatever reason, it was uncomfortable because I felt like a bit of a stalker because I'm not famous and he is. Although I didn't know who he was the first time. But anyways, the point is there's always that person you run into. Then... There's the actor. This is going to confuse everyone because I should have just started with an example of Polly. I keep running into Polly in the neighborhood. But there's also the actor you always see in films and you're like, oh yeah, there's that guy again. And you don't know his name, but he is there. And you start to trust his character in part because you don't know his name. Well, those are character actors. And if they're lucky, they can make a real career out of it, becoming famous enough to always get work, but not so famous that they can't you know, go to a Thai restaurant and not have to deal with someone being like, there's John Slattery, or be on the subway and not have to deal with someone being like, oh my gosh, it's fate. We're running into each other again. Adrian Martinez is that actor. I actually first came upon him when I saw him in Our Lady of 121st Street, which was um, directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He also did Our Last Days of Judas Iscariot with him as well. I mispronounced Iscariot. You can write in and tell me that. Um, But don't write in and tell me anything but how much you love Adrian Martinez because he was exceptional in both plays. They were really meaty roles and he's now become touted as a sidekick, whether it's to Will Smith in Focus, which is out, or Ben Stiller's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It was really a delight to hear from Adrian Martinez, who happens to be a character actor. That's not all of him, is it? We'll find out in this episode, taped live at the Writers Guild. I'm so excited to bring you all this episode of Employee of the Month with Mr. Adrian Martinez. Do you go by Mr. or Sir? Adrian's fine. Adrian's okay. He is a phenomenal actor who I first discovered in Our Lady of 121st Street, um, and he's most recently been seen in Focus on the big screen um, with this small actor, Will Smith. He is petite, although he is, I think, the number one It's all CGI, man. It's all CGI. (laughs) Um, you've been in so many, so many films. When you say you're working on, like, a zillion films at once, does it mean that, like, how much time do you spend on each? I guess it that was a terribly worded question. Let me start that over. I just feel like it just never ends. There is no beginning, middle, or end. You know, like, like today I auditioned for another movie that if I get it, I'll be, you know, set for three months. But we'll see how it plays out. I'm not dwelling on it. Tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to do my writing on my own projects. Yeah, what are you working on right now? Now, you have a production company, Paloma Pictures. I do. Yeah, I mean, we're doing something called pretty, uh, called uh, Hank, which is uh, a real... And sp- by we, that's you and... Myself and I. And <laughs> now also my buddy Hugo Perez, who... Okay. Uh, we're writing something together about... Uh, 
um, a sort of self-loathing Latino who really despises being Latino and is now a teacher in high school and is faced with a lot of sort of progressive, you know, left-wing-minded uh, Latinos who who really can't stand him. And it's, it's really about race and identity and how this guy is trying to figure out his place in this ever-changing PC world. Um, so I that's what I'm working on. I love this. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I got so yeah. excited because I remember doing my thesis in college on why does an at-risk single adolescent Latina mother have a second child. It was about right. teen pregnancy. It was the only rate that was going up. And, of course, Latino and Latina are terms that gringos, Americans, yeah. made up. Right. Bec- and I, you know, it, it doesn't refer to a Cuban-American. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it's like these monikers that we've created, um, and it's fascinating that you're doing it from the perspective of actual people who are Central American or Latin American and who would be considered Latino now, yeah. may consider themselves Latino now, right. um, but not from a white person's perspective of race. I feel like so often when race is explored in much of the network sitcoms and things like that, it's from like, how does the white person feel about it? Right. Versus like you're talking about the tension within the community. Yes, because that's what you described has already been done with Archie Bunker. So we're trying to put a, a, a 2015 spin on it, which I think is going to resonate because right now, if you just look at the paper, everything is about race and identity in this country right now. And, and I would say class. And class. And they're all intermixed. Social and, stratification. Yeah. So Hugo and I thought it would be a good time to sort of step back and do a satirical smart look at it that's in good taste and funny because it feels like everyone wants to take a breath about race right now, you know, and just exhale a bit because it's also palpable, the tension, you know. Um, it's a very polarized country right now. and It's almost... And world, really. Surreal. Like, I feel like on one level with all of the terrorism and um, I think that we are going back into these, you know, feudal um, religious wars on a, a really, I mean, going back right. in time on that sense. And then in the States, um, with the way that uh, it seems that any young black person in a um, sweatshirt um, with a hood on it, you know, is now nervous. Yeah. Fairly. I mean, I feel like we're going back to the 1950s. I mean, so it's such an, it's so scary to live in a time where you you feel your own culture going backwards. Yeah. And uh, Does that resonate for you? Absolutely. And so the question is, well, what do you do about it as an artist? And for me, you, you, you look at it and you just try to put a satirical spin on it and, and try to bring a conversation to the table uh, with humor. Um, and Can you say that even more seriously? Because <laughs> I just feel like it's time. Yeah. For you, when you first started out, well, actually before you started acting, you were a social worker? Yeah, I mean, I've been acting since high school, but uh, I, I, I was told by my family that, um, you know, you should get a job that's actually going to pay. Um, and so I, I went to Fordham University, and I, uh, I was going to uh, be a writer. Um, but all the while, I was still, I was picking up jobs here and there as an actor. Um, um, and, you know, if you don't honor your talent, it just haunts you. Yes. And it haunted me. And so I just really pursued it. Um, 
and um, yeah. But I, 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 I remember being a social worker and having an office and having a secretary and a pension and, and insurance and everything my mother thought I should have and feeling just completely miserable. So I would just like, I would like uh, say, yeah, I have to go out on a home visit. And then I would go out on an audition. Like exactly. I would do the home visit, but it'd be quick. <laughs> Are you okay? They're Mrs. fine. <laughs> like the kids like hanging from the roof. <laughs> How many fingers, Mrs. Rivera? <laughs> Perfect. Adios. And then I'd go and, and you know read for mention of Venice or something. Um, um, but yeah, I just really feel like uh, uh, I'm a lifer. You know, acting is not something I chose. I think it's something that that chooses you because it's such a hard life. You know. Absolutely. I mean, I'm you know dirt poor, and I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. And it's. Um, You're not dirt poor. No, but I'm pretty broke right now. <laughs> and I think it's like beautiful. I don't, I shouldn't say poor because I actually hate when I say that because I really mean broke. Because there are other things I could do. Yeah. But I just don't want to. You're right. It's, right. A, it's an entitlement in that I have this um, privilege to have a passion, which yeah. I think that is the greatest gift one can possibly have and will sustain you through relationships, will sustain you through life. Yeah. So I do feel I'm broke and not poor. I really want to um, yeah. take that back because it is a completely different thing. And I, I don't um, in any way pretend that I am like the person who is, you know, a refugee or you know, right. working in a factory or any of these things and, and right. struggling to put um, food on the table. Um, but I am broke, but it's a conscious choice. Yes. And that I'm addicted to um, interviewing people like you. Well, I'm privileged to be here. Thank you. Um, I one of my greatest experiences as an audience member was seeing you in Our Lady of 121st Street. Yeah, isn't that something? That was at the Public Theater. Yeah. And it changed my life just in the same way that like Death of a Salesman. Like I, I understood my father better and male psychology better. I had so much more empathy, and I um, was curious for you what that experience was like acting in in it, and if you could describe the play to people. Uh, Stephen Natalie Girgis uh, and I were working at a place called Hospital Audiences where we would go to like a prison or a hospital or a mental institution or even an old folks home and do like these these sort of like improvised facilitator, actor, audience member improvisations on a social issue theme like AIDS prevention or something like that. So I would play like a stud that never used condoms, and I'd be improvising with a woman like 75 who can't even hear me. And it, <laughs> or I, we would be like in a prison, and the guy clearly has killed people in his, in his life, and I'd be improvising him and telling him, you know, like, you don't need to use condoms, and you know, like, you can tell who has HIV and who doesn't. And he would just like just be sizing me up, like, God, I want to fuck this guy. <laughs> Um, and I, so we had this whole gamut of improvisations. And through all that, um, it just became weird because, like, Stephen, unbeknownst to me at that time, was writing this play, Our Lady Behind 21st Street. And then he told me, yeah, I want you to do this play. Um, the guy's, like, mentally disabled. I don't see anyone else who could play it. <laughs> Did you take that as a compliment? So I was like, thanks. Um, but... Uh, I, I wound up doing um, a movie for HBO instead, and then oh. everyone got pissed at me. And but then, as like like the planets were determined for me to do this play because the guy who replaced me got hurt on stage, 
uh, broke his kneecap when uh, this actor threw him against uh, a bench. Wow. And um, so Stephen then called me and he's like, yeah, Al went down. You've got to come in and do this. Uh, I'm like, sure, a couple of weeks rehearsal and then I'm up. No, you got to come in tomorrow. <laughs> so I had like one day to get off book and memorize everything, uh, one day with the, with the cast. I mean, but this is a really meaty part that you had. This yeah. is a huge part in this production. Yeah. And it was an ensemble, but it was a, um, a huge role yeah. in a very complex play. How did you possibly internalize all of this dialogue? Yeah, I just, for whatever reason, and this is true, like I have a real empathy, love, compassion for uh, the mentally disabled community. Like, I just feel a connection to them. So beautiful. I just really do. And so it just resonated for me as not so much that he's mentally disabled, but that he was a person who completely needed love in his life. Yeah. And it's just his brother. He needed his brother's love. And I could connect to that because um, in my own life, there have been people I've wanted to love and who didn't love me back or who were just out of my reach. Um, so I was able to just connect on the emotional level. And then two days later, I was up. I was uh, doing the matinee at the Union Square Theater, and there we were. And I did the last 95 shows and saved the day in a way. And, and for me, really had an opportunity to do a play that I, that I was meant to do. When I saw Phil Hartman do uh, Death of a Salesman, it broke yes. my heart. I went down to the bathroom and started crying. Yeah. And I miss Phil. He directed Our Lady. He directed... Another play I did, Judas Iscariot. Um, he used to talk with all these great wrestling metaphors about how there was this one particular wrestler who had been an Olympic champion, three Olympics in a row, and then finally he lost his last match, and he just like took off his shoes, and he's crying and sweating, and he just slammed his shoes down, pumped his hands into the air, and said, that's it, I'm done. And he's like sobbing, and Phil said, that's what you have to bring every performance, like that level of commitment and intention. You have to be willing to go there. How do you do that? How do you tap into that intensity? I don't. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I you were like, saying that he... <laughs> that's what right. Phil wanted me to do. <laughs> I was like, check, please. Um, no, I do my best. Um, you know, it, 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 it's obviously opening night for everyone in the audience, you know, like they haven't seen the play before. You do it for them, and then, you, you know, you do a show and you really try to, not so much as, you know, uh, make up what you did the opening night, but just kind of like rediscover it. Like it's when, like losing your virginity and you, or the first time you have sex with a lover. Yeah. And you want to go back to that point. Yeah. But, but instead of like focusing on the vagina, like maybe tonight you focus on the breasts. Okay. Or maybe the, 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 the nape of her neck. <laughs> okay. And every night it's like another spot on her that you just want to really focus on. Because... And you keep it fresh that way. I, I'm so intrigued that you brought this up because I was just speaking with um, Cynthia Nixon and she spoke about how in rehearsal and in dress and opening night and the first couple weeks the show will be great and then by the end um, people get lazy, people sort of, you know, get yeah. twitchy, they get um, unconscious and it's just like any other job, of course. You know, in that sense yeah. that you may start off very uh, conscious of what you were doing and then yeah. little by little 
uh, get a little distracted, come in a little bit late, you know, all these things. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously particularly, you're more vulnerable as an actor because you're on stage and everyone can see your work yeah. when you're doing that. So you don't even realize you're doing that. Yeah. Although I don't see myself as being the one on stage, it's the character. I know that sounds like acting, you know, bull, but I re that's how I trick my mind into doing performances. Like if it was me sitting next to Will Smith in Buenos Aires, I'd freak out. Was that fun but to get to not. go to it's Buenos Aires to, to um, film with him for Focus? Oh my God, it was a blast. We filmed in New York, New Orleans, and Buenos Aires. I was on the job for, you know. How many weeks? I was six weeks. Um, and that just pays for like the next 10 years? <laughs> no. Well, no. It depends on how much I spend. You know, I blow a lot of money on stuff, man. Okay. Like I'm taking my kid to LA. You are? I how only old like, is your daughter now? She's nine. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Is she in, does she have the bug? No, she That's really good. doesn't. Like when she was five, we did a, a PSA for fatherhood by the Ad Council. And she played my daughter, and she was wonderful and just like a big blast of sunlight, uh, but no real interest. She wants to be the president. That's great. She wants to like, uh, like she's really big on, on ecology and the world. She's this a vegetarian. Is this is fabulous. I mean, who is this kid? I don't know. <laughs> she's everything I'm not. She's completely pulled together. She's got blue hair now. Oh, wow. But that's her choice. She wanted yeah. to be half blue hair. Um, no, she's an amazing I kid. I love that they're, like, so punk so young. Yeah. Like, she's nine, and she's like, you know, honey needs to have blue hair. Yeah. You're a character actor. What? what? does that mean? <laughs> my age has been lying for years. Um, I don't know what it... I mean, you know, I just get roles, and I do my best. I don't know. You don't look at it as, like, I'm the sidekick, I'm the... the well, people um, tell me I'm the sidekick, so you look at yourself as... The, like, someone wrote, he's the sidekick of the stars, because I've recently I've been working opposite big stars. Yeah, Ben but, Stiller, Will Smith, Katie yeah. Lazarus. Katie Lazarus. Um, diva. Such a um, diva. Uh, but really cute and short hair. Thank you! It totally works. Oh, good. I'm so happy to hear it. This yeah. is my debut week, and I feel... Very vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a keeper. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, listen, you know, you get an opportunity to work with these stars and you just like, you know, it's awesome. You know, it's like going to free film school, you know? Well, this is the other thing that I have always admired about you is even as your career was getting bigger and bigger, you'd I'd always see you at, you know, films and events and lectures and it's because you love like, you love film, and it's not just acting, but you love watching it, it feels like. I and do. same with theater. It's really admirable. Yeah, movies have been my best friend, like, since forever. Like, ever since I could go to a theater by myself, I've been there. Like, whenever I was sad or lonely or whatever, it was the movies that saved me and kept me from just being really alone, I felt. Just escaping to these magical places or, or just, you know, like, seeing, like, you know, Robert De Niro and Raging Bull and... Oh, my God, you know, yeah. Gary Oldman and Sid and Nancy. Just these performances. Sid! Sid, yeah. the drugs, Sid. Yeah. That wasn't Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> it just really just kind of, like, uh, made me want to do that. I just saw, like, recently at BAM, they had The Elephant Man. Um, yeah. With uh, Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt, David Lynch's movie. Yes. Um, and it's just breathtaking still. With, like, the greatest close-up ever, like, the first time 
uh, Hopkins character sees the elephant man, they, they, there was this close-up of him and just slowly pulled into his face, and he's, like, welling up from the horror of this guy. Ah, oh, it still takes my breath away. This stuff was made in 1980, and it still, it just kills. It just kills me. How do you plan your schedule when you just don't know if you're going to get this film or that film or this commercial or this play? Yeah, there's an app called Cozy <laughs> where you, <laughs> I write down everything I'm going to do so so that uh, my ex-wife knows when I can see my kid and when I cannot. Or, and then I take her wherever I go. Like she came down to Buenos Aires with me and New Orleans and L.A. and... Sundance, whatever it is, she comes with me and sees a new world a bit. Um, and yeah, but it's all a balancing act. Like, you know, every day I'm not with her, I'm thinking about her. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and there's FaceTime. Is that why you live in New York too? So that you yeah. can be close to her? How much time do you spend in LA versus here? You know, not that much really. I mean, I, 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 you know, pilot season, and you know, I, I, I put myself on tape here. If there's an interest, they fly me out. I've never actually lived in LA looking for work. I've always been there because they paid for it. That's great. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah. In I, life in general. Well, I don't drive, um, and I, I. Adrian. Yeah. You gotta learn how to drive. I know it's time, right? Like this movie I auditioned for today, he like drives, and I gotta learn how to drive. It's really easy. I know, that's what people say. I always feel like it's a past life thing. Like I was one of the chariots run off by, you know, Moses and Ben-Hur or something. You know, yeah. Like. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I have to do that, yeah. I've seen you in movies even like order a bride online. I feel like you can learn how to Yeah, like drive. I drive into frame <laughs> and out, and that's it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's on my list. Do you have to get dressed in character when you go for the auditions? I have to imply it. Like, I have to understand that, that I get it, you know. Like, you know, like today they said the guy's in a black suit. This isn't a black suit, but it's close enough. You're wearing a black silk shirt and um, nice dress pants. Yeah. Black, you know. But they they have um, a pinstripe, so they have, like, a business quality to it. And you do have a suit jacket. Yeah. You just took it off because we're in the Writers Guild. Yeah. You are a member of SAG and AFTRA, so this is a good introduction. And equity. And equity. But, yeah. Equity is theater, correct? I've never been in, yes, I've never been in this building. Well, it's very fancy, and you can have more dues It's so want. quiet. It's so quiet, because it's a writer's guild. Yeah, but... This is where people write. Oh, my God. It's just freaking me out. Why did you open up your own um, shingle, Paloma Pictures? I just feel like it's really essential to to not be complacent. Like, you just can't... It's just not enough to be an actor. It seems so vulnerable to me. Like, when I am up for something that I didn't even know I could possibly be up for, then I get so excited. <laughs> I'm not an actor, but, like, even I've been invited to do roles, like a woman who is struggling to be a stand-up uh, late-night talk show host. And I was like, oh, great, that's perfect, you know? And I auditioned for it, and I was heartbroken that I didn't get it. The show never got made. <laughs> But in my heart, I feel like that part was that existed. Like, as soon as they even just invite you to audition, I'm like, that's a tangible thing. Yeah. But you can't get that attached. No, no. I mean, you have to just protect yourself. There's the business side and there's the creative side. So you prepare for your audition. You pour your heart and soul into this character. You breathe as much life into the character as you can. 
and then the business side takes over, and that's where you let go. And you compartmentalize. Yeah. Are there any... Now. Ten years ago, not so much. But now I can do it. Because you're offered so many roles that you're forced to move on anyway. Even. No, because I, I just need to protect myself from from the whims of an industry that will destroy your heart and soul if it can, yeah. <laughs> if you give it that power. Um, but I, I choose not to today. Like, I can't let that happen anymore. Yeah. Because um, there have been times when I've been right for something. I nail the audition. It, I don't get it. It goes to, you know... Horatio Sands or something. Um, and it used to be like, but what the hell, man? I was so, I was great, you know? This makes sense. I feel that same way on the writing side. Like, I submitted yeah. for something I couldn't be more perfect for the job. Right. And then, like, 440 people submitted. Don't feel bad. You're super talented. And you're like, how can I not feel bad? Yeah. A they, lot of people just quit or they, they don't want the life. And I get that. But the other tension there is if you're not given the opportunities, you're not going to necessarily get better. Meaning, like, you can't act in your bedroom all on. You can write. Like, as a writer, I can still write. So even if it doesn't um, get made, I can still write it. And even if it never sees the light of day, it's still written. And yeah. it can be, and I can practice and get better and better. You know, I can keep continue to edit it on my own. But you can't act on your own. Uh, I would say that that's no longer the case. I feel like now, I mean, there was a movie at Sundance that was a feature completely shot on an iPhone. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's different now. Everything's digital and cheaper now. You still have to get to the big shots and they still have to give you their seal of approval for yeah. it to be, you know, like a major Fox searchlighty kind of thingy. But you can still do product. You, now you can make product more than ever before. Absolutely. Does being in movies with people like Ben Stiller and Will Smith, does that up your salary and your um, cachet? I mean, I'm doing well. You know, I don't need a day job. Um, I could always do better. Um, but... Uh, um, no, but you were doing well before. I guess my question is, like, the bigger the celebrity that you're acting with... Does that then change? So meaning like, sorry, here, let me word this better. So you could have been in, which you were, some phenomenal films. But now, I'm not even talking about the quality of the film. Just being in films with these very bankable actors. Yeah. Just from a purely financial standpoint. Does that change how much you make? Uh, yes. It, it's helped. But at the same time, it's not a meritocracy. So. Yeah. Yeah, I was just in Buenos Aires with Will Smith, but uh, today I was in Chinatown doing a self tape, trying to get the next job. I so love that. It, it's not, you know, it's great. People now associate me more with like definitely a working actor, a guy you can count on if he's next to a big star, he'll deliver. That's like, you know, the casting people they they get that and it resonates and it's definitely there. Um, and I've, I've had an opportunity recently to audition for some amazing things. But you still have to audition. You still have to prove yourself. You still have to, because it's not a meritocracy. And that's fine. I accept the challenge. And um, do you still do theater? No, no, not lately, no. I mean, oh, it's so interesting you should mention Our Lady because, you know, Adam Driver from Girls? Yeah. He, he did a, um, um, a one-night reading of Our Lady and they asked me to play Pinky again 
And I did, and Ben Stiller was in the audience and all these people. Uh, here in New York? Here in New York, because uh, he's a veteran, and it was for his... his, um, his um, Adam Driver's a veteran, not Ben Stiller. Yeah, Adam Driver, right. Um, and it was for his charity that... Well, the name escapes me now, but it was for veterans. And, um, and it, was an ima- it was just a great night. Um, Justin Long was in the cast. Um, and just to play that role again, it just meant so much to me. You know, it was just a real... And I, I had a great night, I have to say. Like, it really, once again, like, that role just really just kicked in for me. It's so beautiful to hear, and I am so sorry for your loss with um, losing both a friend and colleague and mentor, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. It's been devastating. Crazy, crazy. Did you know that he was struggling so much? No, yeah. I didn't know. And to be honest, you know, like, I don't, I don't know anyone who, who didn't know. Like, that's part of the illness is that, you know, you're as sick as your secrets, and he was able to, I guess, conceal the gravity of what was going on within him. Um, but, yeah, it's a great loss. David Letterman, um, I thought he so aptly said similar things about Robin Williams, that he wished he had known that he was in so much pain. He yeah. wished he knew his friend was suffering so much. And I think that's the, one of the hardest parts of surviving. Yeah. Is, is had I known, I would have done more feeling, you know, yeah. and not wanting that person to be in pain. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to be nice now to people. Before like I tried to be, no, I, I, I thought before I was a real prick most of the time, but I'm trying to be nice now. Um, there's this great quote uh, that says, uh, It's by Iris Sachs. By Iris Sachs. <laughs> And it's, uh, uh, be kind, uh, because most people are, are fighting a tough battle. And it's true. Like, you talk to anybody, like, everyone's dealing with something. So just be kind, you know? I love that. And I think we're going to end there. I do want people to check out your work so they can go to adrianmartinez.com and check you Net. out. Net. Net. Excuse me. You're the one of the last survivors with Net. Yes. Um, I wonder who has adrianmartinez.com. It's an, actually an artist. Oh. He's, he's a painter. Well, I, like I tried sh- .com. I couldn't get it. The, pain, the painter got it. Yeah. Um, Adrian, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful Thank you so much, Katie. Time. It's great to see you. As always. And I look forward to seeing you on screen and off. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I want to thank the Writers Guild. I want to thank Ian Mazoff and all of you for listening. If you like the show, please donate. EmployeeofTheMonthShow.com. You can go there and donate on PayPal. Super easy. Otherwise, please come to a live taping when you're in New York. They're super fun. And I think you're following your dreams. I hope you are. I hope someone is. Let's just focus on may all your good dreams come true. I'm Katie Lazarus.